0: Good afternoon, Rua Church. I am Alexander, one of the pastors here, and I would like to invite you to uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And we will be uh, towards the end of Luke chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 38. And once you have found that text, I would like to invite you to stand and join me for the reading of God's Word. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. You guys can be seated. Well, I'd like to uh, at least begin our time in this text by asking you to do something I might not normally ask you to do. Uh, which is to take yourself uh, in your mind, uh, away from church today, worship on Sunday, and back a little bit, uh, maybe a survey of the last week, or maybe look forward into your coming week. And think about all the things that you have going on, Um, whether it's work, responsibilities at school, obligations to meet with friends, following up with family, relatives, you name it, all the, all the things you fill your time with in a given week. And think about all those things on, on your calendar. Maybe you use a paper planner or a Google, Google Calendar, some, something, and, and if you look at all of the stuff that you have going on, all, all the things you dedicate your time to, all your priorities, and ask yourself the question, as we often do, am I, am I getting done the things that I wanna get done? Am I doing the things that I wanna be doing? Are those things good things that I'm running after? And you can ask yourself that. Are the, are the things you're doing the things you wanna be doing, the things that'll get you to your goals in five or 10 years? Those are all good questions to ask, regular questions of, of reflection like that. But I think something that we often don't evaluate in, in the whole midst of all the things we're doing is, uh, is keeping the main thing, the main thing with regards to priorities. And I think this text is a, in some ways a gentle rebuke towards that. And that is that there are a great many things that you can be doing which are good things, but there is only one necessary thing. There's only one thing that is necessary for you to be doing on a regular basis as you engage in your relationship with God and your growth in his spirit. The title of uh, this text is Losing Jesus in the Shuffle. Losing Jesus in the Shuffle. And what I hope you see from this is the very good things that can often distract us from the one necessary thing in our lives. and I think that's exemplified here in Martha. So if you look with me at verse 38, I want you to turn your eye there and see the setting that we're introduced to. It's Jesus and his disciples traveling from village to village and it says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. It doesn't tell us which village or, or, or where, but if this is the same Martha and Mary who are Lazarus's sister and it likely is because you know they're very famous in the biblical narratives and Luke is probably referencing them just by name alone, which is why he doesn't bother to reference the city Uh, We know we know where they dwell. So we know where Jesus is traveling. We know uh, where they're at Uh, They're traveling to the village where Martha and Mary live and that would be Bethany. They live in Bethany That's from John chapter 11 if you want to cross-reference that and Martha welcomes Jesus into her home Uh, Martha welcoming Jesus into her house is is an interesting detail and it kind of is gonna set the scene a little bit between the relationship dynamics between Martha and Mary Uh, because Martha is is hosting this event she is being the she's the welcoming party she's likely the eldest sister of the family she's mentioned first by name uh, even when they're mentioned with Lazarus it's Martha and Mary Uh, You recall that she is the one, when Jesus is going to resurrect Lazarus from the grave, uh, that Martha is the one who actually goes out to Jesus and says to him, if you would have been here, uh, she's the one who's doing that kind of hosting, that, that bringing on process. And Mary's probably the younger sister by her order in the home, not hosting as the dominant host, but let's say in this case, assumed to assist Martha in that process. It's also likely the case that Martha is either unmarried or widowed, given the fact that, her husband isn't mentioned in any of this, and for her to be a Jewish woman who's, who's older than the age of 20 at that time it would have been rather strange for her to be single for, for any other reason other than that she would have been widowed. It was very common uh, in that day, because you just couldn't make ends meet financially or, or feed yourself if you were just a woman living on your own. So it's likely that she's been widowed at some point in the past. But she, she, she owns a house, which either she got from her father or from a husband that has since passed away. And she is now, let's say, the dominant host. So she is running things, she's running affairs, she's hosting, she's, she's doing all of the, uh, well, she's doing all the, the good things, right? She's hosting Jesus on his journey. Now, it would be hard to imagine a more important guest that you could have over to your house. If you were, uh, if you were hosting anyone along the way, uh, you know, imagine the president of the United States calls you and wants to stay at your home for whatever reason, or, you know, that's, that's very far removed, very hypothetical situation. What if the CEO of the company that you work at decided to call you and want to stay where you live. You're gonna host them for dinner, and they're gonna stay over the night or whatever. Imagine the, the perfection you'd want to put on for that kind of a person. Someone who you value highly. You're, you're gonna to want to do everything right. You're gonna want uh, the bathroom to be clean. the food wants to be good, you're not gonna serve them leftovers, you're gonna get everything ready to go and in order. You're even gonna clean and sweep in all the crannies that you normally don't clean and sweep in. This is, the, this is Jesus, this is, this is the God man who Martha is hosting, and she wants to welcome him and host him well. It's a noble aspiration and a good thing, something that Christians are commanded to do, to be good hosts to other people. She's doing a lot of good things, is my point. And then we're introduced to Mary, her sister, and and Luke, in very uh, Luke-like fashion, introduces her in a very short phrase in verse 39. She had a sister called Mary, and what's Mary known for? Not hosting, but Mary is the one who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. That would be uh, a very short way of saying she's, she's being a disciple of Jesus. She's sitting at his feet, she's learning from him, she's listening. Um, this is a, a classic way of saying that she is considered one of the students of, of Jesus. She's sitting at his feet and she's learning from him. So Mary is, is learning from Jesus, listening to him teach. He's a rabbi, he goes around teaching. And Martha is hosting And then the text is going to develop this, let's say, tense plot. So we could try to set the scene and speculate more than that, but I don't think that there's much benefit there. I think you're forming the picture in your mind of the possible tension that's about to erupt, which is that Martha is doing something that's good. Mary's doing something that's also good. But Martha thinks that her serving Jesus is more important than Mary sitting and learning from Jesus. That's what she thinks. And Luke tells us, kind of, he kind of gives us a heads up even before Jesus speaks in verse 40. He tells us, Martha was distracted with much serving. So the text there is, is pretty explicit. Uh, that term that Martha is distracted, it's, it only occurs one time in the whole New Testament. And the basic thrust of it is, is she's led away, she's, she's carried off by her service. It's not saying that serving is a bad thing. It's not even saying that Martha's desire to host Jesus well is a bad thing. The bad thing is the fact that the good thing that she was running after carried her away from, well, her guest who's there at the time. She's distracted in her service. She's she's doing a good thing to the point of distraction where she can no longer do a greater thing or a more necessary thing. Now, the reason I asked you to first fix in your own mind your own schedule in your own week before we looked at this text is because I think often if a character in Scripture is, I don't know, the punching bag of a passage, the one who is being exemplified as a negative example, it's easy for us to look at that character and to say, yes, I see how they've done that wrong and they shouldn't be doing that. And then we just move on to the next paragraph or segment and we kind of read the next thing, right? When we look at the Pharisees, we often do this where we we see them, we think the Pharisees are insane, why would they think that? And then we just flip to the next page, we say clearly they're wrong, Jesus is right, don't do what the Pharisees did, moving along. And and we don't often insert ourselves into the text where the text is serving as a means of self-reflection an opportunity for us to look at ourselves and to say, well, am I guilty of committing the same sin or the same error as this other person is committing? And I think in this text, Martha is kind of being exemplified. And we might ask the question before we move any further in this thought, why does Luke bother to totally derail everything he just did? And before moving on to chapter 11, where he's gonna talk about prayer, why does he insert these verses here? If you're ever confused about what the meaning of a text is, you can always go before and after and you can ask how does this text serve to connect the previous idea to the next idea? And how does it serve to, to underscore the overall arc of the book? Right? You're, you're gonna take a step back and you're gonna ask that question. So let's ask that question together. Why does Luke put these verses here? What's he doing? What's his purpose? Well, you remember what he just did is he told us about a Pharisee who wanted to seek the kingdom of God by being a good neighbor and loving God. And the, the ending command from Jesus is go and do that thing. Go and do likewise. It, it, and there's no, uh, it, well, if you fall short, the gospel is there for you, right? The Pharisee has not repented. He's not seen that. The lawyer has not, had not woken up to his own error. And so Jesus kind of leaves him with a command. And Luke leaves the story there with that emphasis note. And he's not going to let us, the reader, though, leave the story without having a balancing point which is that lest you be confused that running after and being a good samaritan someone else is something that you should prioritize over everything else in your christian life pause stop for a second and look here where you see someone who's doing the exact opposite error of let's say the example of the good samaritan the good samaritan serves well but there's no evidence in the text that they're rendering service to god except that they're loving their neighbor well right now in this text, you have Martha who's serving and loving Jesus very well at the expense of sitting and listening to him. And now we know why Luke has introduced us to this story right after the previous story. He's teaching us what a disciple ought to be like. They ought to love God, like the lawyer says. They ought to do the things that the law requires, love their neighbor well, render service to God. But they ought not to do those things at the expense of their relationship with God. And he's going to do all of that right before he gets into prayer where he's going to begin to emphasize our dependence upon God. So right after you as the reader are going to conclude the text this week, right before we get into the text next week, you're going to walk away with this understanding that while well, Jesus is saying that we need to spend time with him and listen to him, how do you do that? And then he introduces us to prayer. So Luke is walking us through a flow, through a thought. He's putting this text together and understanding that will guard us from a couple of errors, namely the error of ripping this text out of its context and prioritizing it over and above, let's say, every other command in Scripture to be present in the world and to love people. Some, not really in our uh, run-of-the-mill area, but some from generations past Christians have taken this text as a justification or a proof to remove themselves from the world and dedicate their entire Christian life to quiet contemplation to remove themselves to the deserts or to the caves or to the castles or to their own home and do nothing but pray and read their bibles and they're saying well here jesus says everything else is good but this is the only necessary thing and so this is what jesus really wants us to do to detach ourselves from the world and to only spend time with him by prayer and this is the origin of the monasteries but That would be to take this text out of its context from the previous section, which just said, hey, love other people well. This is your duty as a disciple. So we want to keep the text in its balance, in its thrust. But we don't want to do that to such an extent where we make the opposite mistake, where we drown the voice of this text out because of the previous text, which is what our culture does. We say, well, it doesn't really matter so much what you believe about God, just so long as you treat other people better. That would be the mistake of saying, well, you've got to love your neighbor, but it doesn't really matter whether you listen to God or Jesus or Buddha or Muhammad or whoever. It just matters that you treat other people better. That would be the opposite mistake. So this text exists in its balance. We want to hear the voice of the text without overemphasizing it. That's why I'm taking this time to build this. Because this text does have a pretty hard and I think necessary rebuke for our culture. Which is that our human problem In this generation, us as as a church, as a people, our human problem is a problem of doing not so much the problem that Mary has, which is of listening to God. Our problem is that we tend to run after all the good things that we can be doing and in many cases, for some of us, the things we should be doing. But we do it at the expense of the most important thing, which is listening to the voice of Jesus. Now, The reason I asked you to not tell me your priorities or bring those to mind is because often for us, there's a distinction between our priorities and how we actually spend our time. And if you were to ask just any self-help coach or productivity expert or someone who wrote a book on this topic, they would tell you the same thing. Just because you say you have certain priorities doesn't mean they actualize into your schedule or into your daily habits or to-dos or whatever. Um, This is why there's so many people who want to have written really good books but not so many people who write books. Because, well, it's a, it's a priority, but it's not somewhere in the schedule in a time allocation, so it just never happens. This is why so many people want to, I don't know, go to the gym and exercise, but they just, you know, I had other obligations. So it gets, it gets bumped down eventually, right? It, it becomes clear that it's not a priority by, by time. Now, I'm not trying to, let's say, encourage you to do any of those things. I'm just using these as examples. I don't mean to critique yet. But look at this text. And and see where the text lands in terms of critique. Think of all the good things you can be doing for the kingdom of God to render service to Jesus in obedience to his word. And think about how those very same things can cost you your time in the Word, time listening to Jesus, time spent with Him. Well, what, what might this look like? This might be, let's say you're, you're meeting with someone and they wanna know Jesus better, they wanna know what you believe about God, maybe they want to get in the Word with you, and so you wake up late one morning and you skip your own time in the word and prayer and you go straight to meeting with that person because it's a good thing to meet and to disciple someone. Or maybe you uh, have an obligation to uh, invest in a certain relationship to honor your parents well. And so uh, let's say you stay over at your parents for a while and you're you're visiting family and you're, you're being a good son or daughter to them. But that comes at the expense of, let's say, staying up late with them and then sleeping in in the morning and skipping your time in the Bible in prayer, because, well, you're doing good things, but you're doing it possibly at the expense of, of other things. Or, let's say you're a part of a church, or you're serving within the church, let's say a good thing, like a mercy ministry, or, uh, or you're just helping set up and tear. You're doing something that is a good thing to do. But it comes at the expense of developing a bitterness towards other people who aren't doing those good things, which is what you see here with Martha. She's serving... Jesus. It would be hard to think of a better good thing that you could be doing. And yet, this good thing became an ultimate thing, which made it a distraction rather than a good thing that she was running after. The problem was not so much that he was serving, the problem was she made serving a bigger priority than, well, just being present with Jesus. Our human tendency is that, to take good things, and as Christians, to take Christian things And to prioritize them over the best thing, which is, well, just hearing the voice of God. Now, when I say hearing the voice of God, I I don't uh, mean to spell out some some idea that you need to sit quietly in a place until you feel like you have gotten a sensation or something. How do you you hear the voice of God? We've been talking about this for a couple weeks. The voice of God is heard through Jesus, right? The voice from the cloud speaks, and he says, this is my son, listen to him. So you're supposed to listen to Jesus. That's kind of what Luke has been saying to us. You have to listen to his voice, what he says. Well, how, how does Jesus talk to us? Well, he's given us his word here. And so we, we read our Bibles. We, we spend time with God. We hear from him how? By reading God's word. That's how we spend time with Jesus. That's how we hear his voice. Because it, it is his word to us, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Alive and well, through the power of the Holy Spirit to apply to your heart to correct your mind to rebuke you to encourage you to strengthen you you read the bible that's how you do it so uh, what christians have done since we've had the printing press and and printed bibles or digital bibles in that advent and revolution is they have made it a regular habit in their lives to at some point in time get into the word some people take you know a couple of verses and they meditate on this and what is god's truth here some of the, some Christians like to read multiple sections and multiple places in their Bibles. The point is, Christians have said, this is a priority for me, listening to God's voice. How do I do that? By reading my Bible. If you were to go before the printing press, right around the time of the Protestant Reformation, the thing that spurred the people on was, one, having a Bible in their own language. Yes, that's true. But the Bible, there was still no, I mean, there were printing presses, but the, the printing press, and most people are still illiterate, so you just can't, it doesn't matter if you have a printed Bible if you can't read it so what were people doing well Calvin preached every single day why so people could hear God's voice every single day Luther same kind of thing he preached frequently not just once a week on, on Sunday he would preach Sunday morning Sunday evening throughout the week they would do this because people needed to hear the voice of God on a regular basis and if they're illiterate this is how they're hearing the voice of God through the preaching through the reading out loud of the word well you're blessed because well, you have a printed Bible, so in, in some sense, you not only have a greater blessing, you also have a greater responsibility or duty to, to read this thing and to study it. And Not only do you have this Bible, you also have theologians throughout the centuries who've helped you to try to understand this word and who have, who have passed their knowledge and their years of study, sometimes their doctorate uh, degrees, into helping you understand a passage better so you can walk away edified by it, encouraged by it, and loving Jesus better because of it. So, that is let's say the best thing listening to the voice of jesus and there are a great many good things which can supplant that subconsciously either by time encroaching in your schedule or in terms of mental distraction let's say something that's good that you're worried about but you're sitting down and reading god's word and you think about those other things you're distracted by the good thing you're carried off by it in place of hearing jesus's voice well one of the dangers that we have is we start looking at other people when that happens and we look at all the good things we're doing in our lives and we look at them and we say, you should be doing all the same things that I'm doing. And look at how the text tells us that this is something we do. Verse 40, look at what Martha does. She's distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Well, if I just said that our goal is to listen to Jesus' voice. Martha is asking Jesus, well, to listen to her voice. You see the contrast? Martha is telling Jesus to tell Mary to do something. And it's not that she's asking Mary to do something that's bad or sinful, or even neutral. It's actually a good thing she's asking Mary to do, to come help me serve and host. Something Christians ought to do when they're hosting people, right? Tell her then to help me. And and she even goes so far as to uh, maybe subtly hint that Jesus doesn't care. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And you can see, you can kind of see the bitterness seeping out of that that question, right? It's It's not a neutral question. It's kind of like, it's probably been building up for, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes. She's been cleaning up or preparing food and she'd been doing it in silence. And eventually she became bitter and frustrated and well, it got to her and she, she asked the question. And the question at that point is not a neutral question. Perhaps you've had a conversation with someone where something's built up for some time and they ask you a question that, se- that is, let's say, neutral in all its grammar and syntax, but not so neutral in terms of its disposition and tone. Uh, a question that is, let's say, levied with, um, I don't know, a certain kind of frustration, bitterness, anger. If you, were, uh, if you ever have read any kind of uh, marriage counseling book, this is like the number one thing that they say don't do. is hey don't let things build up like that because as soon as the tone changes, this is when you're at a big risk for a big argument. I think every, every book that people have written and recommend talk about this thing. Tim Keller, Meaning of Marriage, I mean, they all, they, they all talk about this kind of thing. If you want good relationships with other people, you don't let things build up. Why? Because it becomes bitter. And, and Martha has let this build up to the point where she's now, in some sense, bitter with Jesus. And it kind of seeps out in her attitude. But notice jesus's response to her but the lord answered her martha martha you are anxious and troubled about many things so i'm just going to pause there before we get into what he says is necessary notice how he responds to her frustration if this is not an encouragement to talk to jesus on a regular basis i don't know how much more uh receptive he can be because she engages him let's say with a certain kind of frustration angst bitterness in her voice and his response to her is not i am the lord and you don't talk to me like that he actually just meets her where she's at he doesn't say she's wrong he he meets her he actually uh the text is trying to tell you this is a very empathetic response she says martha martha if you remember way back uh where luke is telling us about the people who try to claim they know Jesus when they're getting, uh, in through judgment day. What do they say to Jesus? Lord, Lord, did we not, right? The double repetition of a phrase of an address is a way of expressing affection or empathy. Now in, in Hebrew, this is a a phrase that's not bound by romance or friendship. It kind of is used across the language in various relationships. So you see, for example, uh, I I like to, you know, when you you bump into something like this in the text, you like to see, well, where else does this happen? How how else can I understand this? Uh, David, when Absalom has betrayed him, he mourns over the loss of his relationship with Absalom by saying, Absalom, Absalom. He's mourning over the intimate relationship he has with his son that's been broken. We see Jesus do this. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He's mourning over the city that has rejected him. And it's not a neutral warning. It's a a lament. It's It's a mourning because there's a relationship there that was broken. He doesn't say, uh, uh, oh, Sodom, Sodom, right? Sodom does not have the same intimacy with Jesus as Jerusalem does. Here he addresses Martha, Martha, Martha. He's, He's implying a certain kind of intimacy, a certain kind of care. And that care and intimacy is the thing that roots his response. You are anxious and troubled about many things. He goes straight to her problem. He perceives straight through all the things she's doing and straight to, let's say, the thing that has motivated her to be this way, which is her anxiousness and her trouble that many things are weighing on her. Now it's not clear, the text is not telling us what is troubling her or what is driving her anxiousness. But it's hard to think of a better descriptor of modern Western society than anxiousness and troubledness. And it's hard to think of a better example in scripture of something that we as a culture are guilty of than busyness. Is it not true that busyness is generally fueled by people who have something to prove, something to work through, something to accomplish, a certain amount of anxiousness to them to get things done. And Martha is in, in some ways just a, a single person example of that phenomenon that I think in many ways plays out across certainly the Western church, but I think even broadly the Western culture. We, have, uh, we are generally an anxious people. If you don't know that, yeah, I don't think you've, uh, seen the hurt of people who really struggle with anxiety. We are an anxious culture about many things. But also, never have we as a culture been more productive than this time. In, in many senses, it's a way of uh, masking and dealing with things that we otherwise don't want to deal with. What, what could she have done instead of busyness as an outlet for her anxiousness? Well, you're going to see the one necessary thing that she should have done, which is listen to Jesus. He says, verse 42, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her this this idea of the good portion uh mary has chosen the good meal she's she's chosen the better option if you think about ordering from a restaurant menu and you know there's there's restaurant menus are not even okay there's a lot of good things and there's some really bad things on restaurant menus some restaurants are better than others but in general you can make mistakes when you order And what is, what Jesus is saying, she's chosen the better meal. She chose the better option. She chose the better thing on the menu. She chose the good portion. There was a lot of things available to her. She chose this. That was the better choice. What did she choose? Well, the text told us earlier, when it introduced Mary to us, verse 39, she was the one who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. I don't think it's a coincidence that Luke chooses to use the The term listened because that's the receptive aspect of what he's been telling us to do to jesus all along which is listen to him jesus is speaking listen to him you should listen to the son of god you should listen to his words remember the parable of the sower be careful how you hear right take care then how you hear take heed how you listen listening is very important and mary's listening she's doing the things she's supposed to do as a disciple and this, I think, is where the gentle rebuke lies. If you're the kind of person who can just uh, identify holistically with, the, with Martha, it's because Martha's a human afflicted by sin in the same way that you are. Whereas she struggles with a first century issue of busyness and, and a busy schedule and all these worries and concerns. And you might think this is a 21st century problem, worry and concern and busyness at this level. Martha tells us this not true. If there was anyone who would have had a better reason not to work or to, or to do a bunch of distracting things, it would be someone who had Jesus there in their house with them teaching. And instead of listening to him teaching, they're going to go off and do chores. But that's not all that different from you waking up in the morning and seeing a lot of good things that you could do and then just leaving your Bible closed where it is on the shelf, and saying, I'll come back to that later. It's not all that different. The reason it's not different is because, well, what Martha doesn't do is listen to Jesus, and what you're not doing when you don't read your Bible is you're not listening to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you're being disobedient to Jesus. That's not what Martha's doing here. But she's just simply not having input from Jesus. She's not listening to him, hearing from him, sensitive to what he has to say. Because she's serving him. And now you see why it's such a good excuse. You know, if there ever was a good excuse or a good justification for not listening to Jesus, it would be, well, I'm, I'm prepping a meal for him, right? If you don't read your Bible, you can't really, you know, use that same excuse. <laughs> you just, that one's not in the cards for you. <laughs> but I think what's so interesting about this is, is just if you look at, let's say, Martha's abject failure in this situation, and you look at Jesus' like sensitive, heartfelt empathy towards her, I think you, you kind of get a sense of, well, the good news that's present in all this shortcoming. If you fall short of all of these things, right, let's say reading your Bible on a regular basis, praying and talking to God, what waits for you if you start to do those things is not, you should have been doing more of this. Or if you miss a day, it's not, well, shame on you, you got to restart. What, what awaits you when you start doing those things is, is empathy and rest. The tenderness of his rebuke tells us that his heart's posture for us is rooted in the fact that this is better for us, not something that he demands of us or needs himself. Jesus doesn't need anything from us. We talked about this last week with the Good Samaritan. He's the Good Samaritan. We're not Good Samaritans. It's kind of the point, right? We can't do things to curry favor with Jesus. Same thing here. You can't serve Jesus to a point where your service somehow balances out not spending time with him. And his rebuke is tender, even though her mistake is, let's say, blatant. And, and you have this, this picture here in the text of Jesus talking to her sensitively, correcting her, and even essentially addressing her problems, her anxiousness and her troubles, with maybe an implication, I think more than an implication, maybe an overt reference to the fact that she would have been better off listening to him rather than serving. It would have been a better treatment for her anxiousness and a better treatment for her trouble than if she was to try to drown it in busyness. The thing that I think we can take away from this, so far removed, you know, thousands of years removed from this text, is that because of sin, we're not all that far removed from where Martha's at in this text. And we are certainly, I think, because of our culture and because of our, uh, well, just our age and just the place we live in the world, we are way far away from where Mary's at and not really going to be making that mistake, I don't think, on a regular basis. And we are far more often going to be making the mistake that Martha makes, where she occupies herself with many good things that she can be doing. Think of all the good things you can do to render service to God. You could uh, go on a mission trip somewhere and serve Jesus faithfully day in and day out, 12-hour shifts, day over day. Some of you, if, you've, if you're nurses and you've done that kind of thing, you know it can be... It can be exhausting. And maybe at a certain point in time, you're sleep deprived, you're spending time with people, you're witnessing to people, you're serving God, you're, you're doing all this good stuff, and then all of a sudden, you just realize it's been three or four days since you've gotten in the Word or prayed because you've been spending time with people and, and serving. Maybe you're uh, not, maybe you've never done that kind of thing. Maybe you just fill your schedule with all the good things you should be doing as a Christian. Discipling other people, investing in your family relationships, Investing into people, right? You're you're spending time with them, good things, all these good things you could be doing. Maybe you're you're hosting people, you're having people over to your house all the time, and you're you're welcoming them in, and you're, well, you're doing all these good things, and but you do it at the expense of where you actually spend time with Jesus in prayer. I don't think that's a far cry for most of you. In fact, if you're anything uh, like our culture, and because you live in it, the odds are that you you probably are. This this is probably hitting hitting right at home. And my encouragement to you would not be to walk away uh, ashamed with the resolution you're going to do more spending time in the Word. Because that's not the point. Because then that's the same kind of mistake we're talking about right now. The resolution, the response is not to say I'm going to do more and I'm going to add time in the Word on top of that. The point is to prioritize time in the Word even if it is at the expense of these other things. I I think one of the reasons this text is such a good example for us is because Martha really has an either-or choice. She she has to stop serving Jesus at that moment in order to sit and listen to him. It's it's not like a word which is preserved in time for us where you can pick it up at 6 a.m. or at 6 p.m. He's he's busy teaching in that moment in time. There's no voice recorders or anything like that, so she has a choice. She either has to sit there and listen to him or... She has to serve. She can't do both at the same time. And and this is, I think, what what makes his striking correction of her so so good is that he's, he's encouraging her to actually drop the good thing so that she can do the thing which she wasn't doing, which is the only necessary thing that she should have been doing, listening to him. So if you ever find yourself in that situation where you are neglecting time in the Word and prayer because of all these other good things you're running after, well, you just have to become okay with saying no to certain things. Certain good things that you could otherwise justify doing and running after. Because there are a lot of good things that you could justify doing and running after. But if it comes at the cost of this thing, it's not worth it. That's the point. The other thing, I think, which we see in this text is Jesus, being God, is immutable. Meaning, his response to Martha here will be no different than his response to you if you approach him in the same disposition. So imagine you walk away and you say, I have neglected this and I want to spend time with Jesus. How do I go about that? Well, there's there's basically no wrong way to go about that. You look at Martha's response and you see how Jesus responds to her. And so you at least have that, let's say, as as a barometer, a bottom level of how you can approach Jesus. She approaches him with bitterness and telling Jesus to tell her sister to do something. So you, you could get away with doing that, and Jesus will still respond sensitively to you. He's immutable God. Not that I'm saying I encourage you to do that. All I'm saying is, this is his heart posture for his people. He loves them. He wants a relationship with them. He's empathetic. He understands. Well, this is something that I think we, especially in the Reformed Church, need to hear a ton. Because we like the idea. When I say we, I mean me, and I'm probably talking about you as well. You like the idea of a big, powerful Jesus who judges. Praise be to God, that's in Scripture. However, so too is Jesus, meek and mild, gentle and lowly, dwelling in human flesh, meeting people where they're at, loving on them, being approachable. Read the Psalms of lament. Read the Psalms where they cry out to God in bitterness and distress. And tell me there's not a couple times where you think, I think the psalmist may or may not have crossed the line right there. Previous phrases were okay, definitely respectful of God. That one seems a little on the edge. And then, let's take a step back and say, a lot of people read this. People have been praying the psalms and singing them for years. Well, why does this line exist? Well, because the psalmist is instructing us that it's okay to approach God in that sense. Now, you'll notice about all those psalms that I'm, I'm talking about if you come across that, the psalmist never concludes the psalm there where he's frustrated or bitter. The point is, though, he gets it out. Job gets it out. He gets it out of his system, his frustration, his bitterness. I, my point is, you cannot approach Jesus and get smacked on the wrist. He's not going to come punitively at you and say, well, you, I would have listened to you here, but you need to you know, do X, Y, and Z first before you can start reading my Bible on a regular basis or praying to me. You need to learn how to pray first. The point is, just go for it. Martha approaches Jesus pretty much in, let's say, the worst way possible. And he receives her with a tender response. Martha, Martha. And then I think maybe the last thing we want to walk away with, especially out of this text, is the emphasis on the necessary thing. And this is the part I want you to hear without drowning out all the other good things, right? We're not going to emphasize reading God's word and saying, if you want to be a faithful disciple of Jesus, what you need to do is lock yourself in a room, break off relationship with people, throw your phone in the ocean, and... Only read a printed Bible for the rest of your life. Cut yourself off from the world. That's not what this text is saying. If the whole Gospel of Luke was verse 38 through verse 42 of chapter 10, you might be able to make that case. But the point is, Paul says all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. And we take the sum total of Scripture's counsel to us, not just individual passages. And so this text stands in balance with the text from last week, with a unique voice, which says... This thing is so important that you can cut out good things to do it. But what it's not saying is, therefore, cut out all good things. (laughs) The perfect morning Bible study, if you want to call it that, would be to spend, you know, an hour reading the text and then an hour studying, an hour praying, an hour journaling. And, you know, don't have a job because if you if you want to do that, you can't go to work. (laughs) My point is perfect in this case is the enemy of good if you want to have like the perfect time saturated with jesus well you're going to have to probably cut off everything else from your life to do that and i think this is where jesus kind of meets us right where we're at because you know time with jesus is the important thing so if that in your schedule means something consistent for 10 15 minutes a day And nothing fancy, you're just reading and you're writing down questions you have and you're texting a friend about what you read or whatever. That is time with Jesus, is the point. Time sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching. And that's what we ought to do. That's the necessary thing. Now, if you want to, let's say, specialize that a little bit more, you can do that. But the point is, this is, let's say, the base layer of what to be doing. There's this uh, thing that would often happen when I was... uh, in in college athletics which is you would have uh, a freshman baseball player come up and they would say they wanted to get stronger throw harder get a starting spot in the spring and they wanted to know what exact food they should be eating how they should be tracking their macros how much how much they should be lifting how often they should be lifting what exercises they should be doing all this stuff and you get down to the root of that conversation and then you start asking questions about other things and you find out they sleep two hours a night and it's like well if you just if you just I don't know if you just showed up to everything else and you started sleeping more, you would be better off. That's the point, right? If you're doing if you're just sitting with Jesus, that's better than whatever else you were doing before. And if you want to specialize on top of that, that's fine. And in fact, it's good. But the point is do something, right? Take care of the big thing first. Getting consistent time with Jesus. Then specialize off of that. I think in our culture of perfection, intellectualism, we tend to In certain christian circles prioritize the perfect kind of study the perfect kind of interpretation the perfect kind of reading over and above let's say just getting in there and reading or getting in there and praying and we need to just get in there and do the things we're told to do why well jesus seems to imply in verse 41 that martha would be better off with her anxiousness and trouble if she listened to him let's say she was troubled about all the food that needed to be made or all the food that needed to be cleaned right the text isn't clear When the teaching is happening in relation to a meal or whatever else let's say she's anxious about all those things time in prayer time with jesus would take care of that better martin luther during the reformation extremely productive individual he wrote very long letters which are the length of books today (laughs) to people, he, he was, he, and he wrote those you know with, with dip pens, so it's not like he had a word processing machine or anything like that. They would have these incredible lives where they would do all these things. Luther would, used to say he had so much to do in a day, he couldn't help but start the morning off in prayer. And when Luther's talking about prayer, he's not talking about you know, a quick three words and then he's going to go off to his stuff. He would spend two hours a day in the morning in prayer right off the bat. Now, my point, I want, I want to be careful. I don't want you to hear that and think, that's what I need to do or else I'm not going to bother praying. That's not the point of what I'm saying. The point of what I'm saying is the busiest people, the most productive people in Christian history found productive prioritization to be the word of God in time with him first above everything else that they got done. If you look at the life of John Calvin, it's easy to look at all the stuff that he did and not dwell so much on the fact that he was Praying every day, reading God's word every single day, and we don't even hear about that part. But this was a first order priority for him. You get the same thing with, well, you name it in Christian history. They're probably, if there's someone you look up to, someone who anchored their life on prayer and the word. That's the only way you make it as a Christian in this world. If you occupy yourself with busyness and all these things you can be doing and you neglect time in the word, time in prayer, just listening to Jesus, well, you become the one who starts telling Jesus what to do. You start becoming a busy person who wants Jesus to bless what you're doing, but you're not so interested in hearing what Jesus has to say about X, Y, and Z. You're done growing. You're done, you know, you're just going to do the things now. And that's a very dangerous position. This, I think, I'm convinced this is how Christians burn out, apostatize, and disqualify themselves, is they stop listening to Jesus. They become obsessed about what they're doing, And at some point in time, they lose their passion. They're doing all the things. And now, they don't really have a love for Jesus anymore. And this is just where that trends. The only combat you have against sin is loving Jesus. That's the only combat you have. How do you love Jesus? Well, you've got to spend time with him. (laughs) This is your combat against sin. If you want to have a productive discipleship of someone else, if you want to love someone well and get them to grow in the word, you need to be growing in the word. You need to be yourself spending time in the word. If you want people to benefit from you reading scripture with them and spending time with them, you need to yourself pursue purity, not engage in sin. How do you do that? Spend time with Jesus, love him. It will rip out your desire to sin. It's not about disciplining or doing more. This is about spending time with Jesus and loving him, resting in that, growing from that. And then everything else in Christian life flows out of that core reality. My sense is that as I'm I'm looking at you guys and your age and you're just knowing a lot about most of you, you have a general tendency, as do I, to get caught up in all the good things you know you ought to be doing as a Christian, and you let that start driving your life. Not, let's say, the fundamental thing where you started. And so this is my encouragement to you get in the word. As a regular time with Jesus to hear from his voice and to listen to him. And if you, do, if, you, if you learn nothing else from this, that's it. Walk away with that. Now, if you're asking the question, well, I have all these things to be doing. If I spend time in the word, I'm going to let the ball drop on. Some other important thing that the ball can't drop on. Jesus was the one who all things were made through. Colossians tells us this. So if, if God in his infinite wisdom about humans limited our frame to a certain amount of sleep, a certain amount of hours in the day, a certain amount of days in the week, a certain span of your life, who are you to question his wisdom? If he wants you to get something done, there will be time to get that thing done. But not at the expense of the thing he also commands you to do, which is spend time in his word. So if you're an intellectual like I am, that might be the argument that convinces you. If you just want rest and you want to be done with the busyness, you need to rest in Jesus' word. That's the first thing I said. Now, the last thing I'll say on this, if you think I'm indifferent, I don't even know if I really want to listen to Jesus. I've read the Bible before. It kind of falls on deaf ears. I'm not so convinced of that. I don't even think this is, let's say, the voice of God. I'm not convinced of that. First off, being aware of the fact that you're apprehensive about the text of scripture is a great place to start in questioning scripture. And when you start there, my encouragement to to you to be curious and ask a lot of questions. And when you read scripture and you find things that you disagree with or you're not so sure about, you study those things thoroughly and faithfully to the end because scripture is the word of God. It has been preserved for all time. It is absolute truth. And as the Westminster Confession would say, scripture attests to itself of its own truthfulness. So if you don't read the word because you don't know what point it serves or you think it's outdated or from a different culture, my encouragement to you would be to approach scripture and challenge it to prove to you that it is in fact God's word and my promise to you is that it will. Because God's word is indeed what he says it is, which is something that will give you rest, sharpen you, and challenge you and rebuke you, and encourage you, and provide rest for you. And that's because this book is really what Jesus said it was. So if you have any doubts at all about Scripture, my my encouragement to you would be to read it on those terms and let it prove to you its truthfulness, because it will. And with all that being said, at the end of the day, the argument that is being made in Luke's Gospel, and that you need to walk away with, is that if you are a disciple of Jesus, the number one thing you can do to be a faithful disciple is... To listen to Jesus. This is the number one thing you can do. Far and above service to Jesus, far and above all these other things, listening to Jesus is the thing that you do to be a faithful disciple. We'll get next week into how do you do that, how do you pray, you know, all these things. But this is the main thing to establish as a bedrock of your discipleship. Listening to Jesus. Lest you be like Martha and get carried away by all the many good things you could do. My encouragement would be to learn from Mary, who sits at the Lord's feet, listens to his teaching, and forsakes her other responsibilities for that time. She is a a pinnacle of of virtue in this text. And the reason I can say that is because there's other texts that tell us that this is the thing to do. If you're going to listen to anything, listen to the voice of Jesus, and here's what he says in the text. Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. Everything else you do in this life, good things for Jesus, well, they're being invested into a world that is passing away. In fact, all things in this world are passing away. But there are some things which will not be able to be taken from you, such as the voice of Jesus, which strengthens you, which encourages you, which sanctifies you, which grows you. This is something that no one can take away from you. No health crisis, no uh, turn of providence, nothing can take that away from you. It will not be able to be taken away from you. You can take that from this life into the life to come. So, even if you're just a wise investor, you would learn from this text this is the thing to prioritize. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, for its encouragement, for its earthiness. Lord, it expresses to us our problems. In it, we see our failures. In these people who struggle with sin as we do, we see ourselves struggling with sin and your word, which teaches us how to engage and grow. Lord, we thank you that your word provides to us rest, comfort, strength, encouragement, and most of all, that your word provides clarity in our chaotic lives. I pray that we would not lose you in the busyness of our life, that all of the good things that we do would be done in submission to being disciples first, learners of your truth. And that at the very least in all these things, we would find comfort and rest from your word. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who reads your word that you would meet them there to provide comfort for them. Would you validate their reading and their their love of you with a hunger for more, with a desire to get into your word? Because your word is true. Because you were true. And Lord, we lift up your name For it is the name above every name. As we continue now in worship, I pray that you would provide to us your spirit so that we might be able to sing your praises. pray this in your name. Amen.